Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Uh, at Mercy Commons, uh, we believe the major diet of teaching comes through elders, but we also are a, um, a church that believes in gift recognition. And so the reason that Karen is up here is not because she's my wife. Uh, the reason she's up here is because we've recognized a gift of teaching in her and want to benefit from that. And so I'm going to pray for her and uh, let her loose. Father, I want to thank you uh, for the power of your word. I want to thank you for the power of your spirit. I want to thank you that, um, that even though Karen has been diligent and faithful in her preparation, uh, she and we do not rest on that. We rest on the fact that we belong to you, that you want to speak to us. Um, and we sit with open and receptive hearts to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It really is delightful to be together. Um, yeah, thank you for, for choosing. Hello, Kristen. <laughs> thank you for choosing to be here on a long weekend. Um, as Nick has said, we are continuing in our, in our One Another series, and this morning we're going to be talking about be hospitable to one another. Um, and, you know, there are about 47 one another's that are um, presented to us in Scripture. And we've just grabbed a few, a very few in our series. And so you may think, well, that's an interesting one to choose, be hospitable in the, in the midst of all the possibilities. But I really do think um, it's something of particular value to this community living in the culture in which we live so we're going to look at being hospitable, we're going to look at it under three main headings. What is hospitality, why should we practice it, and how do we go about it? Um, so yeah, I just, I just want to pray. Um, yeah, God, as we sit under your word, um, would you help it to bring correction and challenge where necessary? Thank you, God, that you spur us on, but condemnation is not your voice. Thank you, God, as we sit under your word this morning, that you remind us how desperately we need and how readily accessible the empowering of the Holy Spirit is to live Christ-honoring lives. So be with us as we sit in your word. So what is hospitality? Basically, at the most fundamental level, it's being together and eating together. Yeah. Well, that doesn't sound too bad, does it? <laughs> that sounds okay. It's a little little more complicated than that, but basically that's what it is. And we're going to look at a number of scriptures this morning. We're going to start in Romans 12, and we're going to come around to Romans 15. Paul starts a thought here, and he circles back to it in 15. Um, so by way of a very brief backstory to Romans, Romans is written by Paul, and he spent the first chunk of the book laying deep and profound doctrinal truths, talking about who God is, what salvation is, that it's a gift to us, that it's by grace, that we don't earn it. He's laid all of this truth, and only now does he get into the working out of our salvation. One of the commentators 
kind of explained it like that. In chapters 1 through 8, he's dealing with salvation. 9 through 11, he's dealing with sovereignty, God's sovereignty. And then 12 through 16, only at the very end, is he talking about our service. So this part of Romans that we're in, chapter 12, is the standing, walking, running part of the gospel. It's how we work out this new man that has been put into us. Christ has given us a new identity, and then we work that out by new actions. And it is so important not to flip the order on these things. Because if we get them backwards, we end up in legalism and works. And so we are hospitable to one another because we're working out what God has put into us. We are not hospitable in order to do the polite thing or to try and make God more happy with us. And it's so easy to get it backward, but I, I want to just make sure we, we get our order straight this morning. So we're going to start in Romans 12, and I'm going to read from 9 and 13. So basically in 12, he starts about how we relate to. So how do we relate to God? How do we relate to the gifts? And now in verse 9, how do we relate to each other? And it says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And we'll see so often hospitality, this injunction to be hospitable, follows after this injunction to love each other. Brotherly love is what we're called to. How we work it out is hospitality. And it's, a, it's an expression of our love that we have one for another. And it can be kind of broken down into having an open heart, an open hand, and an open home. So those are the three sub-points here. So what does it mean to have an open heart? Well, verse 9 and 10 of the scripture says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Having an open heart means you share yourself, not just your things. Um, it means that we do the hard work of loving each other, that we share our struggles, our joys, our triumphs, our um, despair, all of that we share with each other. In another letter that Paul wrote in Thessalonians um, 2 verse 8, he says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. So an open heart is a sharing of the things of the heart with each other. But I do want to just note here that it says, we love each other, but we cling to what is good and hate what is evil. Our culture is trying to convince us, it's beating this drum very loudly, that to love somebody means that you accept and celebrate every choice and decision that they're making. And actually, Scripture doesn't tell us that that's what love is. We love each other, but we hold fast to what is good and what is true. The best way we love each other is by reminding each other of truth and spurring one another on in the gospel. That is what love is. Brotherly love is to be genuine, affectionate, and honoring 
It's not superficial or sentimental. That is not what brotherly love is. So an open heart, we're sharing deep things with each other. And then we have an open hand. In verse 13 of Romans 12, he says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Be ready to help them. We need to be ready and willing to contribute when our brothers and sisters are in need. And this requires that we've done some hard work, friends. It means that we have worked out our own relationship with money. Our relationship with money needs to be healthy. It cannot be where our trust lies. It, we cannot have a poverty mindset. We cannot be irresponsible in how we spend our money because then we've got nothing with which to help each other. It means that we choose not only to live within our means, but actually a little bit below them so that we have margins to help each other when we need. And, and all of you broke students out there who think, ah, that doesn't apply to me, hang on. <laughs> this attitude of contributing and generosity is not just financial. It's got to do with how we spend our time, too. We need to build margins into our time, be careful with the time that slips through our fingers so easily so that we can contribute to the needs of our brothers and sisters. There's so many things that you can do. You can mow a lawn, tutor a kid, rock a baby, fold a load of laundry, bring a meal, pick up a kid from school. All of those things are contributing to the needs of our brothers and sisters when they need them. There are plenty of opportunities for generosity, and we just need to ask the Holy Spirit to prompt to remind. Start your day by saying, God, who can I open my hands to today? And let him be the one who leads and prompts you. Also, with an, an open hand, you can't give or receive if your hands are closed. So open-handedness means we give and we receive from one another. And then we have an open home. It says... Um, Always be eager to practice hospitality. Show hospitality. The phrase there is to seek to, to look. It's like pursue or, or go after or chase down. Now, I consider myself somewhat of an expert in the art of pursuit. <laughs> For those of you who remember our youngest child when she was little, she was a runner and she was quick. And let me tell you, learning to pursue her to go after her was not convenient. It cost me a lot. One of the times that I, I told her I was going to tell this story, she's in kids, so. <laughs> um, we were at a prayer meeting. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like a circular building, circular hallway with buildings off it, and the inside was open to the ground. Uh, an atrium? Okay, it was an atrium. Sounds fancy. We were praying in an atrium. And I was, like, <laughs> I was like, okay, we're in a circular spot. It's okay. There's no points of exit. I should be good. But when she got dead opposite me in the circle, she climbed onto a bench, over the edge, into a planter. Now she's standing in a planter box three stories up. Let me tell you, I pursued that kid. <laughs> I went after with some strategy and skill, because you've got to get there fast enough to save her life, but not too fast that she thinks we're now playing tag. So pursuing <laughs> is a strategic and commitment that we make to each other. And that's what it tells us, how we are to go after hospitality. Scripture tells us don't neglect it. We do it with intention. We do it with strategy. We work at it. 
It's not something we naturally drift toward, let's be honest. This is not our default setting, friends, because it's costly and it's inconvenient and it's hard. I don't know about you, but I think about me. <laughs> I don't naturally drift to what is costly and hard. That's not my bent. So I have to pursue and give commitment to going after hospitality. Biblical hospitality is costly because we're prone to selfishness. And this is asking us to engage rather than to hang back. It's asking us to open rather than to close. It's also hard because our culture is pulling us very much toward isolation and separation, especially from those who are different to us. And it's difficult because we're choosing to create, in the words of Tyndale, who's the um, interpreter, a harborous disposition. I just loved that. That's what he said hospitality is. It's having a harborous disposition. And we are choosing to create a safe harbor for people, welcoming them in and caring for them. Uh, Christine Paul um, writes a book called Making Room, and she says, although we often think of hospitality as a tame and pleasant practice, Christian hospitality has always had a subversive counter-cultural dimension because we're going against the bent of our culture and advancing the kingdom of God. But it's hard. It really is hard. So if it's hard, then why do we do it? I'm so glad you asked, because my next point is, why do we do it? See how that worked? <laughs> why do we practice hospitality? Well, first of all, it displays who God is. God is hospitable. He made room for us. He welcomed us in. He provided for us, and he longs to be in fellowship with us. God is hospitable. This idea of being together and eating together is one of the meta-narratives of Scripture. In Genesis, we see God planting trees for food, and we see him coming to walk with them in the cool of the day. But Adam and Eve made a different choice. They chose to eat forbidden fruit, and so sin and mistrust entered into the world, and they were separated then from the presence of God. And the consequences of our sin, repeatedly through Scripture, is portrayed as a de-paradising. It's the unedenizing of our, of our lives. It's a wandering in a barren and parched wasteland. That is what sin is described as repeatedly in Scripture. And in the Old Testament, we just see we couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't get ourselves together enough to be able to return to the presence of God. But Jesus... Jesus came and instituted a new covenant where he paid all the things that need paid and played all the roles that need playing. He did it all. And he invites us into salvation, which is depicted as a lavish banquet. That is what our salvation is described as being. In Isaiah, Isaiah what? Isaiah? 26, verse 6 to 8, it says, On this mountain... The Lord of heavenly forces will prepare for all peoples a rich feast, a feast of choice wines of select foods rich in flavor, of choice wines well refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the veil that is veiling all peoples, the shroud enshrouding all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from every face. God invites us in. He removes the things that keep us away from him, and he cares for us. 
Revelations 3 verse 20, again depicting salvation. Look, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any hear my voice, open the door. I will come in to be with them, and I will have dinner with them, and they with me. This, this being together, this eating together, the purpose of our salvation is to restore us to our original design, which was to be with God. So we trace, it's the big arc of scripture, we trace the story from the garden of paradise through the wasteland of sin back to the marriage feast of the lamb in the city of God. So hospitality displays who God is. Hospitality also advances the gospel. And it does it for the unbeliever and the believer. For the unbeliever, people who have not yet come to understand who Jesus is and all that he did, it, we just have to think back to the series we just finished in Luke called Tables and Sinners. We see Jesus repeatedly again and again eating with unbelievers to the extent that in Luke 7 and Luke 15, the guys are saying, what is going on here? So the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Jesus received sinners and ate with them so that he could bring salvation to them. He could save them. He came to seek and save the lost, and we get to partner on that same mission with Jesus today. And so we need to open our homes for the advancement of the gospel to people who have not yet met Jesus. Our neighbors and our families need to be welcomed in so that they can open their hearts to the gospel. And even as you're, just, as you're sitting here, I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit is going to just highlight a who for you in this category. Who this week can I open my home to? so that the gospel can be opened up in their hearts. It also advances the gospel for the believers. Now, the gospel is not just what we believe at the point of salvation, at the point of our conversion. We don't just believe in the person and work of Jesus one time, and we're done. It's what we choose to believe every single day. It's what we filter everything through. When we're struggling, when things are hard, our question is, what about the gospel? Am I not believing in this situation? And I'm choosing again to believe the gospel. So that is what we're doing daily. And being in homes with each other provides excellent opportunities for discipleship. It gives us opportunities to remind each other of the gospel and to spur one another on again. Um, in, in the New Testament, um, the, the scripture gives the account of the birth of the Philippian church, um, and it's in, in Acts 16, and there's three kind of conversions that happen. One is Lydia, then there's the um, slave girl, and then the jailer, and uh, I just want to look at, at the first two in Acts 16, um, Lydia, I just love this phrase. Um, it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She prevailed on us. She pursued the hospitality. Come to my house. Why? Because I need to hear more. I want to be discipled. And then in, in chapter 30, the story goes on, they, 
They cast demons out of a slave girl. Her master is upset um, that he's lost his source of income. They get thrown in jail. They're singing and praising God. This earthquake happens, and the jailer thinks, oh, no, everyone has run away. I need to fall on my sword. And they said, wait, wait, we're still here. So the jailer comes to know Jesus, and we'll pick it up in, in verse 30. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's it. That's the gospel. <laughs> you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of their night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. You can imagine with me that there was much talking and much teaching that happened over those meals of people who just come to points of salvation. And from these accounts, one of the most generous and healthy churches of the New Testament was birthed. There's also the example of Priscilla and Aquila. We just heard about them in the God at Work series. They were the couple that worked together, the tent makers. Um, and in Acts 18, um, it's, we're going to pick up in... Verse 18, <laughs> Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was, and each Sabbath found Paul in the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. So, Priscilla and Aquila invite Paul, come and, come and be with us, come and live with us, which did two things. It allowed Paul to go into the synagogues to preach the gospel. It also allowed them multiple opportunities to be discipled. And then we pick up the story of uh, Priscilla and Aquila in verse 24. Um, it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. But he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of, the God, of God more adequately. They filled out what he was missing. He hadn't learned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He only knew the baptism of John. They said, come on in. Let's teach you a little bit more. Scripture goes on to talk about Apollos and how incredibly helpful he was to the church. What a great encouragement he was to the believers. And he was discipled in a home, Priscilla and Aquila. The other thing that it does is it allows us to practice with believers that harborous disposition that I was talking about earlier. I mean, let's be honest, friends. This life of following Jesus is hard. It's called a race and a fight for very good reason. And sometimes you just are beat down and a little bit weary. Um, and you just need time in a safe place, in a harbor where there's no storms, and you can rest and be refueled. This, this week was a very difficult one for me. Um, and as many of you know, my folks live in a care facility. They need 24-hour care because of their um, advanced Alzheimer's. 
and God has been wonderfully kind in providing for them. And I get to see them every day. And I was there this week. Sorry. And there's a little resident. I just, I want to put her in my pocket. She is. <laughs> She's 95 years old. She is maybe five foot, maybe. 80 pounds soaking wet. She is just, yes, I probably could fit her in my pocket. And her name is Gloria. And I was sitting on the couch, my mom and dad, and Gloria's kind of at the early stages, so she can still have a, a full conversation with you. She can answer questions and respond. And so I was asking her about her, her childhood and growing up with her siblings, you know, long-term memories and such. And she's telling me and she's talking to me about it. And then she turns to me. I kid you not. You think I, you're going to think I'm making this up. <laughs> but this is what happened. She turns to me and she said, I just want to encourage you with something. And it's like the whole room blurred out of focus. And all I could see was this little 95-year-old lady who started to tell me, God is faithful. God knows. God has all the blocks. He can move all the things around. You don't need to worry about anything. God will take care of you. For the next two to three minutes, this lady spoke truth and breathed courage into me. Little 95-year-old, all time. She didn't sound like Morgan Freeman. The voice of God can come in many different forms. <laughs> this little lady blessed me completely. And that would not have happened had we not been sitting together on a couch on a Wednesday afternoon. So we can provide a harborous disposition for each other. Again, who? Who can you help advance the gospel in this week? The next reason that we do it is it brings God glory. We're back now to the Romans 15. I told you we were coming back here. See, true to my word. <laughs> Where Paul started that thought in 12, and then he culminates it in 15. So we're going to pick up in 15 verse 1. And it says, we who are powerful need to be patient with the weaknesses of those who don't have power and not please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for their good in order to build them up. Christ didn't please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insulted you fell on me. Whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we could have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures. May the God of endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude towards each other, similar to Christ's attitude. That way, you can glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ together with one voice. So welcome each other in the same way that Christ welcomed you for God's glory. So often when we think, maybe not you, but when I think about somebody bringing God glory, I'm picturing like, big platforms or big circumstances. I'm not thinking about having somebody into my house for dinner on a Thursday night as being something that brings God glory. Another way of saying it brings God glory is to say that we live in such a way that we put God's beauty and goodness on display. That is what bringing God glory means. And when we welcome each other in, we are bringing glory to God. And again, I just love it. it yes, we love each other. It, 
The hospitality is an overflow of love. And how do we love each other? Well, we bear with each other. Last week, Sean spoke about forgiving one another, which is also what we are called to. Bearing with one another is a little bit different. Bearing with one another are the things that are not sin, but they may not be your favorite things about another person. We are called to bear with one another. And let me tell you, in an increasingly polarized and angry culture, we have to fight to bear with one another. We also build one another up for their good, not for my convenience. We're building each other up for their good. And what is good? Whatever scripture tells us. We are people who take our encouragement and our ability to endure from scripture. I'm just flying through these real quick. And then we're to be humble and unified. We follow the example of Christ, and we do this all for the glory of God. We welcome each other in, and so we bring God glory, because Christ brought God glory by welcoming us in. So what is it? Why do we do it? How do we do it? Right now, we're down to kind of the brass tacks, the the practicals of it. (laughs) These are not the only things. These are just some things that, that I have found. Some of these you do have to do. So the first one you have to do is you have to do it with a happy heart. (laughs) That is not a negotiable. You have to do it with a happy heart. Don't you just love scripture? It kind of just calls things out, you know. So in 1 Peter 4, verse 8 and 9, it says, Above all, show sincere love to each other. Again, that brotherly love. Because love brings about the forgiveness of many sins. And open your homes to each other without complaining. Which means what? People were complaining. (laughs) No complaining. It says do it without grumbling, do it without resentment. It means that it's costly and it's unnatural and it's inconvenient. That's why you grumble about it. But it says we do it with a happy heart. And I also love that it says open your homes. Not you and you and you open your homes. All y'all open your homes. Not just those who are naturally gifted at it, not just those whose homes are set up for it. Everybody. It's not just a woman command this one. Twice in scripture, men who want to lead in God's church are required to be hospitable. Everyone has to open their homes. No one was without excuse. Um, So we do it with a happy heart. Then we do it with increasing proficiency. There's some people who this comes naturally to. They just are. If you go to Katie or April's house or Maddie's house, they're going to make you something that you might sell your granny for. (laughs) Most of us are not in that realm. Most of us are struggling to do this. And Jeannie and Enid, they're both in my life group. Uh, I'm not telling you anything they have not repeatedly said themselves. They don't find great joy and don't feel particularly skilled in cooking. Right, ladies? But I have been in both of their homes and have been warmly and wonderfully hosted over takeout. Why? Because this is about hospitality. It's right. This is about hospitality, not entertainment. We have to keep those two things straight. Rosario Butterfield, uh, we've mentioned her a number of times. She's got a wonderful book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And basically, it's her story about how she came to understand who Jesus was by being hosted in a couple's home. And she says, entertainment is about impressing people and keeping them at arm's length. Hospitality is about opening your heart and your home. Entertaining is exhausting. 
Hospitality means you need to put your baby to bed? Great, I'll wash your dishes, we'll meet back here in 10 minutes. That is what we're doing when we're hosting each other in our homes. We all have to start where we are. Everyone can put on a kettle and buy a box of cookies. Everyone can put out LaCroix and a bowl of trail mix. And here's my secret. Honestly, I don't know why, but this is the truth. If you put it on a tray, it's immediately fancier. <laughs> Go to Target, buy a tray, and you are fancy. That's all that is required. And let me tell you, if you don't have a home of your own, you can buy somebody a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Nobody is without excuse. Recently, my Irish cousins were here. I think most of you met them. You know, Jim and Jane and Amy and Katie, and you couldn't really understand what it was that they were saying. <laughs> they were very sweet. We loved them, they loved you. But we were talking about memories of our childhood. And it was so interesting to us how many memories were connected to food. I remember your dad used to bring tea and toast up in the morning. I remember Granny used to give us orange soda. All these memories, there's lots of studies about memories and connected with food. But honestly, being fed is one of our first experiences of being nurtured and cared for. People feel cared for when you feed them. Doesn't matter what you feed them. Just put trail mix in a bar, in a jar. You'll be fine. <laughs> Another tip, this is just a helpful thing for me when I'm running through people are coming is I think, okay, I need to pay attention to atmosphere and attitude. Some people, atmosphere is no problem. They can scrub a toilet, light a candle, they don't give it a second thought. Those same people, whoever they might be, certainly not me, have to spend a little bit more time sorting out their attitude and making sure that they have space in their um, introversion to make people feel welcome and wanted. Again, Butterfield, talking to introverts, nobody gets a pass on this, guys, nobody. <laughs> she says, knowing your personality and your sensitivities does not exclude you from ministry. It means that you need to prepare for it differently than others might. Everyone's doing it, you just prepare for it a little bit differently. Then we also do it in our own spheres. Um, we just finished the God at Work series, remember where we reminded ourselves that our identity is not in our work, but it's in our sons and daughters as Jesus, and we work that out in our workplace. Did you know that 80% of American office workers admit to desktop dining? 80%. Which, it now has a name, that's how prevalent it is, it's called desktop dining. You don't leave your desk, you eat your food real quick, and then you hop on social media. What if we took seriously this idea of hosting our coworkers one or two lunches a week? What if in your sphere you are at home with toddlers, take an extra water to the park, find a mom, chat to her. If you're standing on the soccer sidelines, take snacks and a water and then draw in one of the other parents. We're hosting in our own spheres, wherever they may be. So you do it on your own, we also do it together. There are a number of ways we co-host as a community. Foster the City is one of those opportunities. There are a number of parents in our community who are fostering, and we can sign up to be part of the organization that helps us walk alongside them as they host and love and welcome those children in for as long as they have them. Look around you this morning. This was a co-hosting moment. 
Many of you arrive on serve teams and you put out chairs and you lay out tablecloths and you light a candle and you pour a cup of coffee and you welcome children. What are we doing? We're co-hosting, friends. We're creating an atmosphere and an attitude where we welcome our brothers and sisters and we welcome our city. Another co-hosting moment is life group. We just saw the little life group slide up there. So important, so important. We're about to start a new um, launching pad of discipleship in a life group. Please join one. Being part of a life group is the best place to be cared and discipled, but it's also a co-hosting moment. Everybody is bringing something, washing a dish, uh, caring for a kid, Whatever, whatever, we're loving each other. We're have, it's not just me who's having to talk to all the people. We are doing it together. My mom always used to say to me, you don't, at arri- you don't arrive at a place with your two arms the same length. Because if your two arms are the same length, you're not carrying anything. You carry something when you come to Life Group. We're co-hosting. That is what it means. That is the very practicals of how we do it. Um, yeah, band, you guys can come, can come on up. I just would like us to, to come back around. We, we went down into the weeds and worked some things out. Now let's just kind of lift our gaze a little bit again and think about Jesus. Jesus, our great host. The cross was the most hospitable moment in all of history. Jesus opened his heart. And out of the greatest of love, He laid down his life, knowing that he would be betrayed and abandoned. Jesus quite literally opened his hands. He was nailed to a cross where he gave his all. He paid the ultimate price for our good. And at the cross, Jesus opened his home. The cross made a way for us to be united again with God in paradise. Those of you who know that... Just let it sit again and not get lost in the familiarity of the story. For those of you who have not yet felt welcomed in to the family of God, please come and find someone this morning and let's talk to you about it. Jesus is our great host. We are welcomed and wanted and invited in. These guys are going to play and we're going to take communion. Um, But I just like like us to think before we go into communion. We remember again what we're doing. And as we take it, we reflect that we've been invited in and included as family. As we take the bread and as we take the wine, we know that Jesus was the host at the Last Supper. But Jesus ultimately became the meal himself. As we partake, we remember that we eat and we drink in the presence of God right now. And we also anticipate the day when we will eat and drink together at the marriage feast of the Lamb. We are gonna respond in uh, communion. You know, Karin's mom was right about our arms not coming in with arms the same length when we co-host wrong about this meal though we have nothing to offer 
to this meal. All we bring is our brokenness and all we bring is our desire to be welcomed. Good grief. Jesus opened his heart, his hands, his home for us. And so what I'd like us to do is to take these elements and to co-host this moment with someone that is not in your blood family. It's just to go with them and say, can I enjoy this meal with you? And then just to simply pray for each other in that moment. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, this is where you can become one. Come to me, come to Karen. But for the rest of us, let's be bold and let's co-host this moment where we've brought nothing, but we can share everything with members of our family because we are brothers and sisters of Jesus. Tony came up to me and also reminded me, we, we're going to have people on my left, your right, ready to pray for you for whatever reason. But he mentioned that maybe there are people that don't feel like they can receive the meal that God is offering them for whatever reason. We would love to pray with you in that area. Would you stand with me and go to the table and honestly just ask God, God, who can I share this meal with? And go and do that. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.